Is it possible to imagine Christianity without Christ? The novelist Flannery O'Connor thought so. As many of you know, Flannery O'Connor wrote so many engaging pieces with great insight and subtle humor. O'Connor loved to poke fun at life and culture using deceptively backward southern characters in many of her stories. Her writing made the strong point that all of life, all of life, even the most awkward and even the most grotesque is infused with grace and infused with God. In one of O'Connor's novels, Wise Blood, she writes about Hazel Motes, a preacher of the church without Christ. Here's what Hazel Motes says. Well, I preach the church without Christ. I am member and preacher to that church where the blind don't see and the lame don't walk and what's dead stays that way. Ask me about the church, and I'll tell you it's the church that the blood of Jesus don't foul with redemption. The church without Christ. That may strike us as both humorous and bizarre, which is absolutely O'Connor's intent. But Hazel Mote's understanding of the gospel, where the blind don't see and the lame don't walk and what's dead stays that way, is really not so far from where we often find ourselves. Here we are two weeks past Easter, two full weeks into the Easter season. We still have the banners. We just took the, the banners down. We still have the white pyramids. We're still singing Easter hymns. We're still celebrating the resurrection day. And our scripture today comes from Easter day. Listen to Luke 24. Again, this is Easter Day. And according to Luke, Jesus is walking along the road to Emmaus and talking to his disciples, but they don't recognize him. Then they arrive at Emmaus and they sit down at a table to eat and Jesus takes bread and blesses it and breaks it and gives it to them and their eyes are opened. And they recognize him. But it says he vanished from their sight. So the disciples went back to Jerusalem and told the others that they had encountered Jesus, that indeed he had risen. And then we get to verse 36. So listen. When they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled. And terrified, and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, 
These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. This is the word of the Lord. So it appears that on that first Easter, as they were moving about and figuring out life, and understandably so, the disciples were trying to be the church without Christ. They were wandering aimlessly. They were not seeing too well even their beloved Savior. They didn't recognize him on the road until they sat down at the table. And take note of the numerous descriptions in this passage. They were terrified and startled. And Jesus said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Startled, terrified, frightened, full of doubt. And actually the Greek words here imply much more vividly this kind of crazy state of the disciples. They were more likely sincerely troubled and they were in emotional turmoil, and they were cognitively confused, and they had hearts full of conflict and hearts full of despair. That's really what is conveyed here. I'm betting that you know a little bit about that. I know I do. We know about that kind of state, Cognitive confusion and emotional turmoil and sincerely troubled and hearts full of despair and conflict. Even though we're just two weeks past Easter, we can quickly fall into those sentiments. Sincerely troubled and cognitive confusion and emotional turmoil. And before we realize it, we find ourselves in the church without Christ just like Flannery O'Connor is helping us depict it. The blind don't see, the lame don't walk, and what's dead stays that way. Here's the deal. When the husband draws up a property settlement and says he wants a divorce, and the wife texts me and says, can we talk? All of that indicates sincere trouble and emotional turmoil and cognitive confusion. Plenty of doubts about where Christ is, present or not. Or or when the body gets so frail that it's just lying there in the bed and the voice gets so weak that you really have to lean over just to hear anything And the doctor comes into the room and says, we're going to keep this really simple and we're just going to try to keep the pain away because everyone knows that life is running short and all of this can generate fears and emotional turmoil and uncertainty and make you wonder where Christ is. Or when the challenges continue, You know, 
the challenges, um, the thoughts that keep racing through your mind. What is it? Is it the illness? Is it the cancer? Is it the depression that you keep fighting off? Is it some issue at work? What is it? It's that thing that's spinning and making you spin and keeping you awake at night and wonder where Christ is. Emotional turmoil, cognitive confusion. And, you know, every day we have increasing worries about the world or the recent missiles into Syria, just the beginning of another world war, we wonder. Or when is the chaos going to end? And can the earth uh, keep up with the rapidly changing population and the climate issues? Challenges abound. We can easily find ourselves in a life, feels like, without Christ, where the blind don't see, the lame don't walk, and what's dead stays that way. Right? But Luke, Luke, the gospel writer, wants to lead us in the ways of faith, in the ways of life, in the ways toward the kingdom of God couldn't be more urgent, really, right? Couldn't be more urgent and pertinent for us. In this story, Jesus the Christ shows up. And Jesus the Christ ushers the disciples and ushers us once again from fear and doubt toward confident, perceptive faith. Jesus the Christ shows up and ushers the disciples and ushers us once again from wandering confusion, from emotional turmoil to living as resurrection people, kingdom people, God's people, living faithfully in the world. Check it out. Jesus the Christ shows up and he speaks with love and compassion. His first words are peace. Peace be with you. Now some scholars think this passage, this little phrase, peace be with you, was added to much earlier manuscripts leaking in from the Gospel of John because the Gospel of John in the Gospel of John, Jesus shows up and keeps talking about peace, peace be with you, peace be with you. And maybe this was added later from that reference. But he seems genuinely concerned and fully empathetic to the disciples' plight on that morning as they're wandering around. Why are you startled? He asks, why do doubts arise? It's really me. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. And all of this intends to assure them that the risen Jesus is the embodiment of the life, the person, the self, the identity that they knew prior to his death. He's no disembodied spirit. Touch me and see me. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like this, he says. And then to make the point even more emphatically, Jesus asked that, do they have anything to eat? Do you have anything to eat? The verse says, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it. Now, the Gospel of Luke is full of stories where Jesus is dining with people, lots of people. He dines with um, women and outcasts. He dines with 
tax collectors like Zacchaeus and sinners. He dines with lots of people in lots of places, but this is the only place in the whole gospel where it actually says Jesus ate something. He ate something. This is to make the point that for real, Jesus the Christ is truly in their midst, truly there, and it also points to the new life of the disciples. What's their life going to be like? Well, hosting people in Jesus' name, feeding sheep in Jesus' name, doing God's work in Jesus' name. This is just a forerunner of what their life is going to be about, carrying on in hospitality and generosity in Jesus' name. And then, then Jesus the Christ encourages them even further with his teaching. He says, everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he says his whole message is about repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Way back at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1 John the Baptist arrived on the scene with a ministry of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Remember that? We've talked about that often. That's John the Baptist's message. This is what God is always about. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins all the way to the kingdom of God. This is what God's intentions are always about all through the laws of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and all through the New Testament. Repentance turning away from our ways to God's ways and forgiveness, this is the way of God. It's not about serving self. It's about serving God. It's not about doing what we want in the world. It's about doing what God wants us to do. It's about being released from oppressions and depressions and living with love. It's about all the things that Jesus did in his full life and in his ministry. Jesus welcomed everyone. Jesus forgave sins. He healed the sick. He helped the hurting. He taught us to reorder our lives. If you have two coats, give one away. If someone has wronged you, forgive him or her. If your neighbor is thirsty, give her a drink. If your son is in a far-off land and estranged from you, welcome him home and throw a big party. This is Jesus. If you're a disciple, love one another, he says. Be kind to one another. Offer what you have to help each other. These are the things that Jesus keeps saying over and over. These are the things that Jesus teaches. Repentance, turning from what we've been, turning from what we tend to be, and forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness lead us toward the kingdom of God. That's the message. And then on that Easter morning, after he's told them all this, when the disciples realize, wow, he's in our midst, he's risen, he's standing there, Jesus says this, this is to be proclaimed to all the nations. There it is. That's what follows. That's the instruction. That's the great commission. That's the instruction. This is to be proclaimed to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem We're to carry on Jesus loving, healing, serving, justice-making, peace-building work. This is to be proclaimed from here on. And then he says this, you are to be 
the witnesses of these things. You're to be witnesses of these things. See, everything is moving toward the promised reign of God. Peace and healing and justice and joy everywhere. And the promised reign of God is about gracious welcome and it's about wonderful inclusion, not just for a few, but for everyone. It looks like mercy and kindness. It looks like gentleness and compassion. It looks like peace and peace building across the whole world. How critical is this for our lives? It looks like honesty and integrity. How much is that lacking? It looks like light, not darkness. It looks like life, not death. It looks like community and caring, not alienation and separation. You are witnesses, says Jesus, to these things. You're witnesses. You're to live this way. You're to embody this message with how you live, with what you do. God is God. God is always at work. God is always present. God wins over illness and heartache. God wins over disease and death. God wins over despair and tragedy. God wins. You're to be witnesses to this. Live this way. Love this way. God's promised reign is coming. Live into it. That's the message on that Easter morning. Recently, Ginger and I got a letter in the mail from a woman who was in our first church. She's moved several times in the 30 years since we first knew her. And in this letter were some thoughts written long ago by Ginger's father. The woman lives now in Wisconsin, and she has a current pastor who shared some comments from Ginger's father, Randy Taylor, about Jesus and about the resurrection. And those words from Randy Taylor seem so pertinent to me and perhaps to you and all of us today. So I quote my father-in-law. Listen. Christian faith is focused upon a person. Jesus Christ is the central fact of history. His life, his death, his resurrection. His life appeals to everyone who has heard his story. Even if people don't like what his followers have done with him, they cannot avoid the magnetic allure of his life. But without the resurrection, there would be no story. The evidence for the resurrection is not just an empty tomb. The real evidence is the women and men who met the risen Christ and who witnessed to his resurrection with their lives and with their deaths. It's the church which Christ created of those who believed and who through the generations in tragedy and in triumph became the household of God, the body of Christ, the fellowship of the Spirit. None of the New Testament would have been written, shared, read, or preserved apart from the, the resurrection. Its writers were not interested in a Christ who was alive and is now dead. They remembered, thought of, loved, and wrote of a Christ who was dead and is now alive. They told his story not because of an interest in biography, 
or in history or in philosophy. They were compelled by a conviction of a new reality. Christ is alive, and because he is, so are we. These witnesses to the resurrection were absolutely convinced that life is an exciting gift of relationship with him and that death is no break in that bond. That is very different from the popular attitude that life is misery and that death, rather illogically, is an even greater disaster. We are given by God's grace the biggest news in the whole world for if Jesus rose again from the dead that is the most important thing that has ever happened you are witnesses to these things so no matter where you are or what you're dealing with or no matter about our troubled world May we all live with grace and conviction, with integrity and justice, with worship and work that witnesses to the God who gives life and light, to the God who raised Jesus from the dead, to the God who rules and reigns forever, to the God who will not ever let us go. You are witnesses. To these things. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, O oh God, help our unbelief and keep claiming us, calling us, covering us, and using us in loving service following Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.